What's going on, everybody? I'm Two Tone the Artist. And I'm Mr. Peach. Welcome back to the Hills Are Silent podcast, where we chop it up about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let's roll into it, y'all. What's going on, Mitch? How you been, man? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, nice week of work here. I actually finished a couple games, which is a, a nice change of what I've been doing lately. Kind of been stuck on that Counter-Strike grind, so I haven't been playing as many single-player experiences, but I am here to share one that I uh, that I really enjoyed and uh, finished pretty quickly, and that is the Resident Evil 2 remake, which you have been begging me to play because of how much you have talked about how good it is. Yeah, man. Uh, Resident Evil 2, man, such a good game. The original Resident Evil 2 was really good. I was super stoked when I found out that they were remaking it also a little nervous, but when I played it, it exceeded every expect- expectation that I had for a remake. But that's me. I'm tied to all that nostalgia from the original game. Uh, I'd like to know two things. Have you actually played the original Resident Evil 2 that came out on PlayStation 1? I think I might have watched you play some of it, maybe once upon a time, but I don't recall myself playing through it because I didn't own a PlayStation 1 until way deeper in its life cycle. So I want to say I never got around to it. I was pretty young when that came out, too, so I don't think I was... I had gravitated toward the Resident Evil yet. Yeah, before we dive into how your playthrough of Resident Evil 2 went, I would like to say a few things. So... I don't know if I've even told you this. The first time I ever saw Resident Evil 2 was at Uncle Jim's house. Our cousin Eric, Mm -hmm. rest in peace. For those who don't know, our cousin Eric passed away a few years ago. Uh, He was in his room, which at the time he had the whole basement to himself. Oh yeah. I went downstairs to the basement. So first of all, the basement was unfinished. So it's already a creepy basement. So I go down there and I see he has a PlayStation one and I was like, what games do you have? And he's like, well, I've been playing this resident evil two game. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if I played it, if he fired it up and I played it or I just watched him play it, but that was the first time I had ever seen resident evil two. And then shortly after that, uh, I don't know if I bought a copy of it or rented it or what, but eventually I played through it and have played through it many times since. I always go back to it every so many years. But that was my first experience with Resident Evil 2, and that may have been my first experience ever seeing Resident Evil, period. But that was so long ago, my memory's bad, that I don't really know. But I think that's my earliest memory of Resident Evil. You bring back some good nostalgia because I remember that same thing of going down and watching Eric play games, but he was playing the original Crash Bandicoot when I would go down there and and watch him play, which is a little more kid friendly for me at that age than uh, than Resident Evil 2. But yeah, I remember seeing him playing Crash Bandicoot and I was like, I got to find a way to play this. But, and sure enough, I mean, I had after that. But yeah, that fond memories of uh, even that. Cre- it was a creepy basement, but it was nice going down there and watching him play. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but back to Resident Evil 2 uh, remake. It was released in 2019, as Mike said. It is a it is a fresh remake of the 1998 Resident Evil 2 game that came out on PlayStation One, and it was remade through 
the RE engine, which is the same engine that they started when they uh, Resident Evil 7 and most recently Resident Evil Village uh, were ran in. So when I heard that they were going to do that, I know you were a little nervous, you said, but when I heard they were going to do it in that RE engine, I was like, I think it's going to be okay because that engine is smooth. And honestly, with Resident Evil 2, that was the smoothest experience, you know, ever. It was fantastic. Like... They kept the, I guess, the charm of Res. I know with a lot of people when they play the original and they completely remake a game, they can sometimes take away, I guess, the charm or what's good with the original. But I feel like they really, to a T, you know, from what I've seen with the original, have you know kept it, kept kept the charm that that it deserves, and uh, they handled it with care. But overall, really good experience for me as my basically my first time playing it. Uh, the graphics were insanely good. The the gunplay, it, it, the survival horrorness, it was creepy. It was so creepy. I, I played it in a dark room. It's a lot more creepy than the, the newer Resident Evils because it is that real survival horror aspect where you have the, the limited ammo, the limited health. The enemies are a little harder to take down than I feel like the newer games are, especially maybe the Resident Evil 5 and 6s. But there's also, I mean, the story is excellent. It's nice going back. It was nice for me going back because I actually played the Resident Evil 1 uh, remaster that they made pretty recently, too. So it was nice being able to continue the story and kind of uh, see it full circle. And now, even after that, I want to go in. I was telling you, I want to go in and play Code Veronica now because chronologically, Code Veronica is the next one in the, the story. So... Not as no remake with that one, but uh, that's okay regardless. Yeah, which is a shame. I I am so bummed that they skipped Code Veronica and went straight to remaking Resident Evil Four. Which I get it; it makes financial sense because that was probably a way more popular Resident Evil game than Code Veronica. But for me and a lot of other diehard fans, Code Veronica is one of the greats up there with Resident Evil Two. Yeah, and I've heard you talk a lot about saying it's a great, it really should, it really deserves a remake. So I actually recently purchased that one, the HD uh, Master from the 360 that they have, and uh, I'm excited to check that one out. But uh, we could talk about that one at a later date. Uh, back to RE2, though, the remake. In the original one, were there ink ribbons for saving? Yeah. Or in, like, the standard, like, difficulty mode? Because in this one, if you take the standard route... It has like an autosave feature and a you don't have to use ink ribbons at the uh, at the typewriters for the standard mode, which I thought was interesting because from what I remember watching there, there were definitely ink ribbons for for RE2. Yeah, I mean, that was just part of the strategy because at this point you or back then you knew you had limited saves. So you could only save. So you'd find ink ribbons and you'd go to a typewriter and however many ink ribbons you had was how many times you could save at that typewriter. And then the typewriters are scattered in different locations throughout the game. But yeah, that was part of the strategy. You're like, do I save now or do I try to make a little bit more progress before saving but also risk dying and have, having to go way back? Just was even more, uh, more tension. So as we've been discussing, I've been playing Signalis lately. Mm -hmm. And Signalis is very inspired by the original Resident Evil games. 
to where you have these safe rooms that you go to where you can save, but instead of it being a typewriter and Signalis, it's like a computer screen that you go to. But in Signalis, you can save as often as you want. And anytime a survival horror game has the ability to save as many times as you want, I abuse the heck out of it. I, I'll go make a little bit of progress, come back and save. Go make a little bit of progress, come back and save. Like that just becomes my routine, which with the original Resident Evil, as you said, you can't do that because you're, mm. you're limited on your saves. I think it's funny in the remake when you play on the standard difficulty at the end of the game, it tells you, it gives you a grade at the end and tells you essentially how you did in your playthrough, but it tells you how many times you saved total in the game, which I thought was interesting because I saved a lot. I, I did, I abused it, like you said, like I do a little bit, I'll go back and save because it is annoying to have to go back and, you know, all that progress that you made have to go back and do it all over again. But that's kind of what made the original really creepy. And I might do another playthrough. I still have, I did the Leon campaign for RE2, but there is still the Claire side that I need to do get done. So maybe I played the Claire side a little harder difficulty where I do have to do the ink ribbons and whatnot and at least give it a try. And if I get too annoyed, then I'll go back. Yeah, so with the original version of Resident Evil 2, I'm just like you. I beat the Leon scenario in the remake and... I also should probably go back and play the Claire scenario. But in I don't know how it is in the remake, but in the original Resident Evil 2, I mean, for the most part, the games play out identical, depending on which character you are. I think there's maybe like only a handful of scenes that are different, dependent on, on which characters you choose. But in Resident Evil 2, the Claire scenario was actually considered the easy mode for the game. Oh. Uh, I think that... I don't remember what they tweaked, but I think that you, um, you're given more ammo and maybe more guns. I'll have to go back and look, but there's certain things in the Claire scenario that give you uh, like a, a better chance at getting through the game. So instead of actually having like a difficulty mode, you're selecting in the menu which character you pick is, is essentially your difficulty mode. Mm -hmm. And then once you beat those campaigns, you have the option of playing the B scenario where you go through the game again, but the game is slightly different. So some, some things are switched around, like the locations of items and stuff. And yep. then also in scenario B, you've got the the big tyrant chasing you throughout the game. Which I think is interesting that in Resident Evil 2, the remake, he is chasing you even in your first playthrough. You don't have to beat the game and restart it in a scenario B to have him chasing you. They just incorporated right. that immediately. Now, I can't remember. Yeah. When you beat Resident Evil 2, did they offer you the ability to play through the game again in a different scenario or did did it not mention anything like that i was whenever there is a b scenario like you mentioned you can do that in the remake as well and yeah i i didn't really exactly know what that was but then i looked at a guide when i was looking through a guide for some things when i was getting a little stuck uh just to make sure i was going the right way or something i, I noticed that you could see like an a and a b is this your A playthrough or your B playthrough? So, yeah, they did they did change some things up and kept that in there. 
I want to go back to Tyrant though, because I thought that was that's pretty funny. Tyrant or Mr. X is one of is basically kind of the main one of the main villains and in the game, and uh, he's kind of the guy that chases you around for well, the majority of the game. But I actually got an achievement, which was just funny to me. I'm a big achievement collector on Xbox. I like I like unlocking them. I don't hunt them out as much as I used to, but if you just I accidentally shot off his hat. I was just shooting at him because why not? And I shot his hat off and it gave me an achievement for shooting his hat off. <laughs> nice. Which I thought was interesting, but he's a, like he's a physical presence and a creepy like a creepy guy and it's it it's scary with him chasing you around and following you through the level a lot of the time. So that was really that was a really cool touch and I, uh, Resident Evil does that a lot with a lot of their villains. It's yeah, just some unstoppable force pursuing you the whole freaking time just man it's like the fire under your butt like man you got to keep going just keep going yeah. no stopping no breather just constant stress because obviously with three and i'm not i've not played the original three either uh but i know nemesis is the main guy and uh, we call him uh when we play dead by daylight uh, he is in the game dead by daylight he's one of the killers in dead by daylight so we call him a Daddy Nemi every time we uh, have to run away from him because <laughs> he's this, this huge man just chasing. Like, he makes these huge stomps in Dead by Daylight and whatnot. So I've become very familiar with them through that game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, other than that, for RE2, I mean, it really does. I know we, we did our favorite Resident Evil games before I had played this. And after playing through that, I want to say it probably does reach the top for me. I, I loved 7 a lot, but man, RE2 really does. I, I do love the third person aspect a little more than the first person, as much as I like that they made the change at the time uh, for Resident Evil 7. But yeah, I, I, I think after playing the RE2 remake, it it's reached the top for me. Yeah. I mean, even when that game starts out, you just you know you're in for a ride because i think there's a scene where he picks up a zombie's head and looks at it and again that's that moment it just shows off the graphic capability of the engine and there's just torn flesh and it's so gory looking and wow yeah and i think it's also like you really connect with a lot of those resident evil characters like from like ethan and resident evil 7 and village I could give a crap about him as a character and they really didn't want you to be super connected with him. I don't think they didn't really show his face or who he was very, very much, but with the Leons and the Claire's and the Ada's and you know, those characters in resident evil too. Like I have so much nostalgia for them as characters. And I think, and they really put a lot of personality in all of them. So that, that also plays a factor in how much that game is just, it's just great. And you just want to keep playing more of the story and seeing what unfolds even if i already know because i've played the majority of them which is why i now want to go into code veronica which I, i've never beat but it adds a little more story at what happens next yeah and, and to me that goes to show the power of like a strong hero in a game i know there's always been a debate whether do you flesh out the hero that the player plays as or do you leave them more open-ended so the player can project themselves onto them so you have a mm -hmm. lot of games like the original dead space where the protagonist doesn't say anything the whole game which i i 
I've heard that they changed that in the remake of that game. Now he actually has dialogue. But yeah, or even like the original Halo. Like there's there's many games where it's either a silent protagonist that you're playing as or they have very little dialogue. And then in a sense that does make it feel more like you are the character, which is a totally different approach than games like Resident Evil where the characters are very thought out they have very distinct looks, distinct personalities, distinct interactions with other characters. And I don't know which I like better, but when games do do it right, when it comes to making like a real memorable hero, you do kind of form a bond with them, even though they're not a real mm-hmm. person, but then it you root for them and then you want them to do well and you're playing them but also watching them at the exact same time. And that's why these iconic characters in Resident Evil, it's so nice to see them com- continuously pop up in all these sequels. Like Leon, yeah, oh man, he's been in so many Resident Evil games. Uh, Claire as well. And even some and of Chris. the supporting characters like Wesker or Ada Wong. It's like you're still still familiarity whenever they pop up in a new game. Yeah, I mean, even like every time they introduce a new character too, like they they, they just do a sh- such a good job with like meshing all of their older characters with newer characters. So you start really liking the newer characters. Like I'm a big Sheva fan from Resident Evil Five. Like I I really want to see her in more Resident Evils. I'm hoping maybe they'll put her in the next one because she hasn't been in anything since Five. Dang, but, you're right. She hasn't. Yeah, that's it, that's strange because usually they do bring back all the cast it's some some form or fashion hmm. yeah but it it's just nice that they've introduced all of these characters into this world of resident evil and i'm glad that even with with seven and eight they still say and there is evidence of that and especially in the seven dlc with chris redfield that it is still a connected universe and it still does proceed resident evil 7 biohazard does precede the events of resident evil 6 and so on and so forth. So I'm glad that they didn't, when they did switch the first person, I'm glad they didn't abandon, you know, the, the characters that we know and love. And like you said, like when, when it's done well, it's done well. And Capcom, you know, did it very well with the characters in the universe they've created. Yeah. But yeah, man, dude, Ethan was so, such a wooden character in Resident Evil 7. I didn't, something about him just was not likable. And uh, I've only just started Resident Evil 8 Village and immediately like just that opening level where they're where Ethan and his wife are in the house together. It's just like, ugh. he's not likable. His wife's not likable. And I'm like, I don't like, like with Leon Kennedy or or Claire Redfield or Jill Valentine, whoever it is like. Like like we were saying, I, I when I see them, I'm I'm like excited, like yes yes, let's yeah. get these guys through a new adventure. They can do it. But with Ethan, I'm just like, Ugh, somebody just hurry up and kill this guy. Like maybe he gets more likable in Village later on. But right off the bat, I'm like, I do not. This dude is just a, he has no likable qualities. And the, the whole beginning of the game is just him like bickering with his wife. I'm just like, what what. They and both may die. I don't care. They're they're obviously <laughs> miserable anyway. <laughs> I may have read something or I may have heard from a friend from a friend. I, I I don't know. It may not be true, but from 
what I, I think Capcom wanted to make Ethan really boring or just not somebody who's like a memorable character because they really wanted to highlight the people that were around in the like I guess like around the game. Hmm. They didn't want to center it around I guess Ethan's character. They wanted it to really they wanted to highlight the family in Resident Evil Seven. They wanted to highlight you know all the all the major villains that they put into Village more than they wanted to I guess make Ethan a a main character which is weird to me because like like you said we fell in love with all these other characters that they created as protagonists why wouldn't you just create another interesting protagonist to go through the game with but yeah. i mean maybe the first person aspect made them seem like no we're not going to do that because you're really not going to see the character as much as you do when you see when you play a third person game yeah yep yeah. But yeah, that we've kind of gotten a tangent, but it was a good tangent. So that's that's Resident <laughs> Evil 2, though. Uh, I'm excited. I'm going to go into Code Veronica next because I, I I'm pretty locked into Resident Evil at this point. I think I'm just going to keep churning through them and then go to the three remake next okay. after Code Veronica. So that is that's basically what all I've been playing and uh, what I've beaten recently. And I don't think uh, you've been you've been uh, you've been playing through Signalist as you've said though. But I don't know yeah. if anything. I've still been playing, still been playing Signalist, and then there's a uh, Resident Evil game you and I have been playing through that we'll save for another episode when we actually finish it. Yeah, you could you could tell as it just reiterates that we we are deep into the Resident Evil uh, (laughs) universe right now. And the weird thing is, is yeah, once I get in a survival horror game groove, I kind of just like to stay there, and it's weird because. I got to be careful what I play right before bed because if it's, if it's too like, like twitchy or like, it, it, I don't want to like hype myself up. I'm trying to wind down. So often I play either chill games or oddly survival horror games, even though they're scary and they kind of give me a bit of anxiety while playing them. It, for some reason, they don't hype me up as much as, as if I were to like, play some other first like some first person shooter or something that's mm-hmm. that's real action so i don't know what it is but the the horror games i can somehow play those before bed and then still shut them off turn over and go right to sleep i understand what you're saying because those are your, i guess the single player experiences as a whole like it could be survival horror or not like those just relax me because i'm not competing with anyone i'm just laying back on the couch and just you know, doing my thing at my own pace kind of thing. So even if it's survival horror, yeah, that doesn't really phase us. It's just, it's a relaxing game for us, no matter how spooky it is. Yeah. So, a topic we wanted to discuss on this episode was games that had so much potential, but just ultimately fell flat. And... This happens often. It could be a sequel that was really hyped up, and then when it came out, it just did not live up to the hype. Or it could be a game based on a well-known franchise that seems like it would have been a perfect opportunity for a game, but then it just got squandered. So I have a feeling that you and I will be coming back to this topic in the future as well. Definitely. But for now... The first game that came to my mind that I have a memory of being really disappointed in was the video game adaptation of Blade 2. Now, did you ever see that movie? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so for those who don't know, Blade 2, I don't know when it came out, maybe 2003, 2004, maybe around that time. It's, uh, it is based on a comic book, but this series came out before the huge explosion of Marvel and DC movies. So this was before all that, before it just got totally played out. Um, back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, there was only a handful of movies based on comic books. They were few and far between, and they weren't often great. But Blade, which the character is a vampire hunter, and he's half vampire himself, so he has their strength, their ability to regenerate his health, but he also, since he's half human, which go watch the movie or read the comic if you want to figure out how he's half vampire and half human. I don't, I'm not going to explain all the details. Uh, you really should go back and watch the first two movies. You can skip the third movie. It wasn't all that. Yeah, once you brought these up, I'm like, I kind of want to go back and watch those movies after. <laughs> yeah, they were good. They were oozing with style. They were super cool. I remember when this game came out, me and my friends wanted to get the, the Blade action figures. We were always saying the lines from the movie, wearing sunglasses. We wanted leather trench coats like him. Like, it was just... Um, who was the actor? Was it Wesley Snipes? Was that yeah, it was Wesley Snipes. To me, he's been in so many great movies, but to me, this was like his magnus opus, like his the pinnacle of his career. This role was made for him. Mm -hmm. It really and I, was. And I know they, I think they made a Blade TV series, but it wasn't him that was starring in it. And then I know that there's been a reboot movie that I think has been in development hell for a long time. But I just cannot picture anybody else playing Blade. So it's just, it's hard for me to even get excited about that, the, the new movie or the TV show. But anyway... Uh, yeah, so he's a uh, super cool half vampire, half human vampire hunter. And it was just perfect for a video game. You've got all these iconic weapons from the movie. Like he had a shotgun that shot stakes to pierce through the vampire heart hearts. He, uh, he fought with a sword where he cut off limbs and stuff. He had just really cool automatic pistols and weapons. But when I rented this game... Way back in the day, I think I rented it from Hollywood Video. Rest in peace, Hollywood Video. And Game Crazy. Yeah, and Game Crazy, man. Uh, but anyway, it just... It, it was not good, unfortunately. It had a, a decent combat system, had some cool effects where you would like stab the vampires and then they'd turn into a bunch of sparks and bones and then collapse just like they did in the movie. But it was just poor level design and the quickest way to make fighting mechanics dull is infinitely spawning enemies and this was the part that just killed this game so like you would go on these levels and just no matter how many vampires you killed they just kept coming and I hate when games do that. Like, just give me a finite number of enemies to f to kill, so then I can breathe when I'm done and mm. walk around the level, not even having to stress. But when I am like a hundred percent threshold, having to fight nonstop every step I take, it gets super exhausting, and then that just makes the the combat system seem that much more repetitive. And it just got so annoying because 
there'd be moments you're like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But the whole time you're trying to think about that, you're so busy fighting. You're just like, ah, I just need a moment to think and look to figure out where I need to go next in this level. So I think even had they just not had infinitely respawning enemies, that would have made this game so much better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I th- actually think there was a Blade game, Blade 1 game on PlayStation 1, but that I never played. Although I can't imagine it being that much better since I never heard anybody talk about it and I don't think it got very good reviews. I don't think so. But anyway, is there any game that you can think of that just had infinitely respawning enemies? I say, I know we kind of talked a little bit about that on and off pod of uh, of infinitely respawning enemies. And one, I think, that had them, but we actually enjoyed the game. Did Hunter the Reckoning have infinite respawning enemies? Yep, yep, there you go. Absolutely, I remember that too. Hunter the Reckoning on uh, GameCube, Xbox, and Xbox. That was a great, great couch co-op game. But like you said, it was had infinitely respawning enemies. And if you didn't get through that level fast enough and do everything you needed to do, you did not have enough health to you. You could not take your time. It just like the whole game, you felt no. like you had to rush because you're just constantly being infinitely bombarded with enemies. Yeah, I want to give a special shout out to my uh, my good friend, John. Uh, he's uh, one that that we would play that game, Hunter the Reckoning, all the time and one that we still have fond uh, memories that we look back on uh, in my dad's basement, as you know, Mike, you spent many of nights in my dad's basement playing games and whatnot. And yeah, Hunter the Reckoning, I, I still own that on GameCube. And uh, yeah, fantastic game. Still to this day, I would play it over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, total classic. But it would have been better if the enemies didn't infinitely respawn. And another one Absolutely. I can think, think of is, did you ever play that game State of Emergency? I think it was on PlayStation 2. I know what you're talking about, but I don't think I ever played it. So it was Rockstar's next game, I think right after Grand Theft Auto 3. Oh, yes. And immediately, I know me and all my friends were totally hyped for it. Because we're like, it's the next game from the makers of Grand Theft Auto. And then when it came out, it just sucked. I hate to say it, but it was just not a good game. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, a lot of some, of, especially with Rockstar, you think anything that they're going to create is gold because they they rarely missed. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who started the respawning enemies portion and having that be a thing. But uh, I'm glad that it's no longer really a thing. Now. <laughs> yeah. So th- that was my choice for games that had so much potential. That's a good. That was a great choice. Mitch, what did what did you land on? Yeah, so I landed on a sequel. I I just as well, but I decided to go not with a, a movie property, but a property that I really enjoy and was very disappointed in their sequel. And it is called Battlefield Hardline. And Battlefield Hardline was released in 2015, developed by Visceral Games, published by EA Games, who has been publishing them forever. But it just came off. It was the sequel to Battlefield 4, which Battlefield 4 in itself is probably, in my opinion and my friend's opinions for sure, the best Battlefield game that we've played. Excellent Battlefield game. 
And what we like with Battlefield games is just the huge maps, you know, 32 on 32 or 64 on 64, or whatever it was on on these games. Many vehicles you can jump into, you know, just the typical Battlefield style of like military large map, controlling points, forming squads, you know, racking up points and just, you know, like just venturing in this immersed map and trying to take out, you know, the enemy teams and whatnot. With Battlefield Hardline, they 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 changed it up. So they went away from the military aspect and they went toward more of a war on crime aspect or maybe like a police versus criminals aspect to it. So when I heard that they were going to be doing that, I, I was totally okay with it. You know, they they had done a lot of military before before that one. Yeah, and, and when this came out, I'm or right before this came out, when I heard about that, that sounded like a novel idea. Absolutely, and my friends got and I got super hype about it because we're like, this this seems really cool. I, I think the marketing was really genius, from what I remember. They I think they had some really cool commercials for this too. Because I know for sure it was uh, the soundtrack or like one of the songs in the commercial was that whoop, whoop, it's the sound of the police. <laughs> KRS-One, yeah. Yep. And they were, you know, they were really selling that and they were, they were selling it with their marketing and our friends were super hype. And I was a college kid at the time and I, I didn't have a ton of money. I The only money I had was what I made during the summer of lifeguarding. And so if I'm going to go and buy a game day one, like that's that's a decent amount in my pocket. I didn't make a lot of money at that point. And I was a college kid who didn't, you know, wasn't making money during the year. So but my friends and I were like, yo, like the marketing was awesome. Like we read everything in Game Informer or whatever. It seemed cool. So we're buying this day one. So we buy day one, we pop it in, we start playing. And honestly, it was just a major disappointment from what it was with, you know, coming from Battlefield 4 that we know and love. And I still go back to on occasion. And I say this because while I thought the cops and robbers stuff was cool, like I, I thought like like them changing toward that wasn't the problem. There were some fun moments like the same thing. Like if you got in a cop car, it'd start playing that whoop whoop, it's the sound of the police when you're in the cop car <laughs> driving around like as one of the vehicles. But they really got away from what made Battlefield and what makes Battlefield good, um, which is like I said at the beginning, the large maps the you know the destructible terrain around you or the buildings that are collapsing all around you they had some of that but it just wasn't as big as what they did with battlefield 4 and i think they tried to focus and make it a little too competitive because from what i remember and what i i looked up before the pod they started introducing a lot of 5v5 modes and competitive modes like that are almost call of duty-esque in a way, or even like Counter-Strike-esque, like, you know, not as tactical, obviously, but, you know, more smaller maps. They they split them up, the other game modes, between small maps and large maps. But even their large maps, or what they deemed large maps, were not that big compared to Battlefield 4 maps. And so it, it was just really a major disappointment to where, like, they they switched up into this criminals versus cops modes in, L, in Los Angeles, and I feel like they could have done way more with the with with the property that they have or the location that they chose. And they really didn't, because I, I remember there was one level that we played and there weren't that many levels or at least large levels that they created. And there was one where it was 
I want to say you're like around in a mansion in LA and there's like there's space outside it's a big mansion there's a big yard but like it wasn't you know it wasn't a very like expansive area and like unlike Battlefield 4 was where it, you were like in a downtown a lot of time in Battlefield 4 and there was stuff falling around you all the time and you could get way up high and skyscrapers and jump off and parachute there wasn't a lot of that in battlefield hardline yeah so i never played hardline um but for first off just hearing what you're saying i'm surprised they based the whole game in la because this could have been an opportunity to have levels in different countries with completely different style police forces completely different styles of criminals absolutely and because uh, yeah, I could picture like a, a cops versus robbers level in London, which would be cool, or maybe one in uh, in like Colombia or something. So yeah, there's so many different cool areas they could have picked instead of just all centralizing it to LA. And is I mean, how would you compare it to Payday? Is it where? As the cops, you're trying to stop the criminals from doing heists, and then if the criminals succeed with the heist, they get away with a, with money or jewelry or something. Are there, are there any they, heists in the game? Like what? They, what? they do have a heist mode. I don't exactly remember what it incorporated, but I don't think it was as payday esque as payday is. Is where like you're trying to stealth in. I think it was a lot of run and gun. There wasn't any, I don't think there are many stealth options within that game, which I also think if they're going to go that route, because I want to say they named one of their game modes like heist or something like that, but it didn't really, you know, it didn't really feel like you're, you're sneaking in and heisting, you know, it feels like it just, it felt like typical battlefield run and gun, but maybe there was an objective to take something at the end of it or something or another. But, I agree with you where I think they did limit themselves with with just L.A. And the reason they did that is because they put a campaign together with it that centered all around Los Angeles. Oh, there was a campaign but, that was part of this? Because I, I know most of the older battlefields had campaigns, albeit oftentimes they were short. Mm -hmm. So did you play I through think, the single player? Nope, didn't play through single player. I... I read some reviews on it actually just recently, and... They say the single player is probably the worst part of the whole game, which is unfortunate to say because I wasn't super thrilled with the multiplayer aspect of the game. Yeah. And I may be wrong here, but I, I think I'm right, where this might have been the last one that they did a campaign on because it was so bad. <laughs> Dang. And no. if you're... Go ahead. They did have a single player on Battlefield 1 okay, and Battlefield 5. So they did continue the single player after this. Okay. I don't fondly remember any of them. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, the original Battlefields did not have single player modes. And uh, I think they introduced that in Battlefield 3 to compete with Call of Duty because Call of Duty had these huge Hollywood-esque action, action movie campaigns. Yeah. And I never played the Battlefield 3 campaign. I beat the Battlefield 4 campaign... Which I finished in like only like four hours. It was super short, and then it, it the ending was not very climactic. So after that, I was just like kind of like, eh, didn't really care to play any other 
Battlefield single-player campaigns. As we talked about, the only Battlefield campaigns that I felt like were any good were the Bad Company campaigns. I about it because as we've talked about in a previous pod, the the Bad Company campaigns actually had characters that you you wanted to follow through a story. You know, and that's a good point. There's a damn fly in here. Anyway, uh, I see it. <laughs> anyway, that's a good point because yeah, all these campaigns, Battlefield Three, Battlefield Four, Battlefield One, and Battlefield Five, those all came out after Bad Company. So yeah, you're right. It's it's like they had it had it right the first time, and then somehow just their campaigns took a nosedive. But I mean, honestly, if I buy any game, even if it's multiplayer focused, I always appreciate a campaign, even if it's short and not that good. If if it's if it's a scenario like you said when you're when you're broke and can't afford a lot of games, sometimes it's nice to even just have a short campaign included in in your multiplayer focused game. Yeah, and I'm not sure why I didn't uh, just go ahead and play through it at that point in time. Maybe um, who knows? I was in college. I was there's a lot of drinking involved. I don't. <laughs> Maybe I just wanted to play multiplayer and have a few beers. Who knows? Yeah, which I think that's a good segue into our next topic. So. For me, throughout my life, I've had, I've gone through phases. I've always played a lot of video games, ever since I was a little, 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 little kid, with the very original Nintendo Entertainment System. But I would fall in and out of that that pattern. There's moments in my life where I was basically just a homebody playing tons of video games, wasn't getting out much, and there was other moments where video games took a backseat to me going out, having adventures, and just being extremely social. But the problem is, is especially during my teen years, I was going out and getting into trouble. I was hanging out with, with kids that liked adventures a little too much, and we were breaking the law, uh, getting drunk, doing other stuff as well. And at those moments, I probably should have been at home playing video games. And I probably would have uh, stayed out of trouble, trouble more often. Well, the good thing is, is I typically did not get caught when I was out doing things. I knew what I was doing was stupid. But I didn't have to get caught to eventually come to the realization I shouldn't be doing this. And there were times that my friends were planning things that I either was just too tired to get involved with or just knew, like, nah, man, if you guys go do that, you're going to be in way over your head. I'm just going to stay home and play some video games. And it was usually those moments where I wasn't with them, that my friends would get caught, get arrested, whatever. So I think that you can relate to this, because you were telling me the other day that that exact scenario happened to you. I don't know, was that in high school or college? Even younger, I was in middle school, actually. Yeah, they, they, it was a great time. It's a great story to tell. And my my dad, if he if he is listening, he he gets a kick out of this too because he he caught wind of it. Because 
it was all the neighborhood kids in this story and all the parents talked. So while I didn't get in trouble for this, he knew exactly what was what would happen. So, yeah, growing up, I had a great neighborhood, a great group of friends. We all game together online. You know, as I've talked about in the past, the introduction of Xbox Live was when I, you know, just started, you know, hanging out with my group of friends in the neighborhood. And, you know, I'd, Halo 2 would come out at that point. And I was fully addicted to Halo 2. So we'll fast forward to my story when I'm out with friends and we used to go walk to the CVS uh, across the street from our neighborhood. It was the easy walking distance. My parents were comfortable with me going and making that walk. And we do it a lot just to get snacks, you know, get get some Mountain Dew and some, you know, and some chips and the uh, game all night. That was usually the, the routine. Yeah, I remember well, that. As, sometimes when I'd be over there, we'd walk up to CVS and get some snacks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. You know, got a few dollars from from old dad and uh, walked on up there. But uh, there were times when uh, a group of my friends would go up to CVS and they, you know, they were reaching the age where all of us were, where we wanted to be a little mischievous and do do things that weren't they're a little bit frowned upon. And they would go and they would steal from CVS. So they and there were times where I was there and I would notice it and just kind of get the heck out and pretend that I had nothing to do with them at that point. And they would every time they get a little more bold when they would go there and do that. That's that's the problem, man. Some people, the more they do something, the more they get away with it, the cockier they get and the more they they push the limits. Yeah. So there was a time where they were all going to go up there and I had already known that they had been they had been stealing from times where I would go with them and go purchase something. But see them in the back messing around, opening up chips and, the, and eating them in the in the aisle and doing whatever. And I was like, I'm not going to go this time. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to play my Halo 2 because I was already having a good a good day with my Halo 2. And I didn't I, I didn't I knew something may happen. Like you said, at that point, I'm like, nah, I'm going to stay home and uh, and play my games. And sure enough, the time they go up there to the CVS, they they were uh, a little too ambitious with what they were trying to steal, trying to go over some expensive things and taking them out of the, you know, of, uh, in the in their CVS bathroom. And they got caught. And, you know, in that aspect, I was home and I can, you know, I, I can plead the fifth and say, hey, I had no, no idea what was going on. And uh, I was just here playing Halo 2, trying to grind a level 50 and get my uh, my Team Slayer rank up. And, yeah, I, I think in more than one instance, something similar to that has happened. But that's a good story that uh, my I know my my parents think is, is pretty funny. But I think you were talking about uh, speaking of parents uh, in, in video games. My mom never liked when I played games i mean she she always wanted me to read or do something different she didn't understand gaming she does a little more now that i've gotten older and but i always like to tell her as i've gotten older i'm like mom like you didn't like i played games but it kept me out of a lot of trouble so i could have been doing x y and z when i was in high school or you know even when i was in middle school but instead i stayed home and played the game so in a way i i think games really really helped you as a parent make it easier on you yeah Absolutely. I, I remember one time I was in line at GameStop. Actually, I think it was uh, either EB Games or Babbage's back then. Babbage's. Uh, anyway, yeah, we had this weird mall in Peoria back in the day that had a GameStop on one level. Actually, it started out as a Babbage's, then it was bought out and the name was changed to Electronics Boutique which then became GameStop, and then they had an EB Games upstairs, which I think Electronic Boutique is EB Games. I think it just 
they rebranded it. So anyway, I had an EB Games and a GameStop in the same mall right on top of each other, which I don't know how they both stayed in business. And then I think eventually GameStop bought out EB Games and I don't know, crazy history with, with all those old video game companies that are no longer around. But anyway, I was in line and there was this, this woman, it was a long line. There was this woman in front of me with her son. I don't know how old her son was. At the time I was a teenager or a young adult and her son was maybe like, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something. And she's talking to another parent that I don't think she knew. I just think she was starting a conversation with somebody else in line, just out of boredom or something. She was real bitchy and just annoying. She was like, my son is, I hate, I'm buying him this game, but I hate that he plays video games and yeah, 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 yeah. Just, he just sits at home and plays these games. And the whole time she's sitting there complaining, totally being a Karen, I was like, man, lady, like these games are probably was keeping your kid out of trouble. Like you should be happy that your kid is under your roof in in eye shot view of you Mm -hmm. and you know he's safe as opposed to him being out in the streets running around and peoria there's a lot of bad neighborhoods in peoria and a lot of a lot of trouble that you can get into in in that city and it also has a beautiful side but one of the reasons i got out of peoria is because i was not hanging around the good areas and my life was going downhill and yeah, I needed I needed fresh fresh environment and uh, and better opportunities than what I was I was surrounding myself with at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I just was thinking that I was like, lady, you probably don't even understand that the only reason why your kid's not in trouble or locked up or has some woman pregnant right now is because he's sitting here playing video games. <laughs> so you should be thankful. And video games. The stigma around them, I feel like, has slowly melted away over the years. And I think that happens with a lot of things in humanity. We realize that things that we've super vilified or or we don't understand and just immediately try to hate, as we grow as a society, we get a better understanding and realize it's not as bad as we originally thought. And video games are, they're not a passive activity. They're an active activity. You are solving puzzles. You are engaging your mind. And I would almost argue that you're doing that more so than books could. Because I, cause watching TV is totally passive. You're just one-way stream. You're just intaking. And even with books, even though that's a little more engaging in your mind, again, it's just a one-way stream. You're reading what's on the pages. You're only intaking. But with video games, you are interacting. And depending on what type of game you're playing, because there are many different types of games with different levels of difficulty and different levels of thought put into playing them. But at the end of the day, you're solving puzzles. You are strengthening your mind when you're playing games. Unless you're just playing some like stupid little... My name is Mayo. Yeah, my name is Mayo or something just mindless. But but even then, you're engaged to a uh, to a point. Yeah, I, I want to go back to the, the stigma part because I think, uh, I don't know if it's the same for you, but growing up and especially like obviously, you know, when I would want to date or, you know, get a girlfriend or whatnot and like playing video games, like it was almost like embarrassing to admit that I played games at a, at a point 
because I guess the stigma around games is like it it was it was nerdy. It was you know it. I don't know. There just was something around it where it it wasn't cool to play games growing up, and I'm glad that stigma is broken now, and people are a little more accepting of 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 that in, in itself. But yeah, especially when I was like in middle school or even early high school, like yeah, it was it wasn't as much of a everybody games like now like nowadays where it's just like every every dude games like <laughs> yeah. everybody's playing some call of duty or something like that like yeah yeah it, it was a little different back then it's been opened up to such a wider audience i remember being a kid and the people at school that played video games it was it was the minority you might only find a, a handful of other kids in class that actually play video games and then, like you said, nowadays it's just it's it's global. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's completely mainstream now. Yeah, and yeah, it, and it still can be seen as like a, a nerdy activity. Also, depending on what games you play, there are definitely some games that are way nerdier than others. Uh, yeah, but, I would uh, fall into the uh, the gamer who plays very nerdy games. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and also part of growing up is like accepting who you are and being comfortable with who you are. And I totally just, any nerd side I have, I just totally embrace it. And it's, it's not a bad thing, man. It's a, it's a pro, not a con. And yeah, and with, with girls in middle school and high school, all the guys that they probably were chasing back then are super lame now as adults because none of that <laughs> stuff translates to adulthood. And I'm sorry, you're in high school for four years you're out in adulthood for 80, 90 years. So you may have been awesome for four years in high school, but if, if that doesn't translate to the rest of your life, then, uh, yeah, you're not going to keep getting the girls. And then that kind of ultimately that it shifts. So if you're in yeah. high school right now, you're having trouble with the ladies cause you're a nerd. Don't worry, man. Everything shifts in your favor right after high school. Just sure embrace does. it. And, uh, yeah, because nerds run the world, man. That's just how it is. They sure do. You just got to realize that once you leave high school. Yeah, uh, that was good. We we went off a bit of uh, a little more of a tangent there again, but that that was uh, that was all good stuff. I think so too. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I mean, we're approaching the one hour mark. I think that's a as good a point of any point is any to to call it an episode uh and let you got anything else you want to go over mitch or you want no uh shout out video games we uh we made a whole podcast mike and i uh, have a relationship still we're still really close as we were as kids because of video games and how easy it is for us to connect and hang out and jump on and play a game for a couple hours and obviously do this podcast now so yeah they they play an important part in our life so i think it's it it's important for us to to talk about them and almost stick up for them when uh, when you know we we see the value in them and we've seen that from from the very beginning. So yeah, it's it's awesome. Exactly, man. Life is all about fun, and playing games is fun. Whether it's video games, board games, whatever you consider your game in life, just remember to have fun because there's way too many people out here that are far too serious. And uh, yeah, as Mitch said. And hang out with your friends. Have fun. That's what life's all about. Yeah. 
All right, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode. You can find us on our, our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, yeah, what else we got going on, Mitch? Yep, you can find us on our Twitter at, uh, at The Hills Are Silent. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silent. Our TikTok is at The Hills Are Silent podcast. And then our YouTube, again, is at The Hills Are Silent. If you have any questions, comments, I don't know, just to say how much you love video games to... If you need, just send us an email. Anybody can send us an email <laughs> at, uh, at silent at gmail.com. We'll catch you in the next episode. Still couldn't kill that fly. All right, bye, everybody.